Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, interviews with the living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, coming to us uh, is Jen Amos, who, among many things, is a podcaster, entrepreneur, a gold star daughter, and uh, she works a lot to help people with suicide prevention and awareness and other issues of mortality. So she's an excellent guest to have on the line. So Jen, welcome. How are you? Hey, Mike. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? I apologize. <laughs> I didn't ask ahead of time. You did. No, actually, you did. So congratulations. <laughs> it's so funny. One time at an actual conference, this guy didn't know how to pronounce my name. So he just said, now give it up for Jen. <laughs> like, that was it. So you got it right. <laughs> cool. Very cool. And uh, yeah, so I mean, you have, you're a jack of all trades. You've got lots of talents and lots of uh, internet presence and all sorts of things you've done. But I do have kind of a standard question for all my guests, which is I usually ask them, how old are you? Where did you grow up? And uh, what generation do you consider yourself a member of? Yeah, well, uh, I'm 33, going 34 in um, in winter. So December is my, I'm a December baby. So shout out to all the holiday babies. Um, I... I'm a, I'm kind of a child, I wouldn't say a child of the world, but I, I guess in a way, um, because, you know, my parents, uh, were from the Philippines, but my dad joined the U S Navy. And when he was stationed in Yokosuka, Japan, that's when, that's where I was born. So I was from there in a sense, but I would say, if you ask me like my upbringing, I lived in California for 20 years. So I'm more, I would like, I associate more with being a California native um, than anything. And I would like to say that I uh, identify with the millennial <laughs> generation because I, I think I'm like an older millennial now, like being in my 30s. I don't know, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm there. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's all over the place. And that's really interesting. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I'm also not native to California, but that's where I grew up. So I'm from the Bay Area. So way north. Do you still uh, travel a lot? And do you ever go back to the Philippines or any place like that? Oh, gosh, I mean, it's interesting, because when my family moved to California, um, my sister actually was only five when we lost my dad. And so when she turned 18, the first thing she wanted to do was just leave the house, like go to, you know, go from we were in San Diego, uh, living in San Diego, she wanted to go to school in UC Santa Barbara, and then afterward travel the world. I, on the other hand, wanted to stay put. I, I mean, for the last decade, I've basically worked from home. But for me, my form of traveling is like, let me find a long-term Airbnb to work out of. And that's my form of traveling. <laughs> like I, I'm more about like just changing what, what looks like what the scene looks like out my window more so than, you know, like more so than actually like being a tourist in the town and stuff like that. Very cool. And so I know because you just brought up your father's death and, um, I know that you work with like military families and stuff like that. Is that connected? Yeah. Uh, so a little bit about my family story. My dad had served in the U.S. Navy for about 18 and a half years. And he was really at that point where he could have could have decided to transition out and, you know, be a civilian and, you know, live that post-military life. Um, unfortunately, and this was back in 1998, um, our last duty station was in Japan, in Yokosuka, Japan, the same duty station where I was actually born. So we, you know, I, I was born there and that was our last duty station. So started in there. And uh, my dad's ship was the USS Kitty Hawk. Um, it was going from, uh, what do you call it, J Yokosuka, Japan to South Korea um, when he had gone missing. 
And so they uh, ended up doing a, a search crew or they sent the search crew out for three days and they continued the investigation for, you know, three months. And basically he he was just never found on his actual de- death certificate. It says that his, um, you know, death was unknown or that he may have drowned. That's kind of basically what it says um, on that certificate. And so we had to um, catapult our lives from, you know, Japan to San Diego, California, and we had lived there ever since. And so, you know, fast forward 20 plus years later, I meet my husband, who's a veteran, and the work that we do today happens to be involved with the military community. So it's been really interesting to, um, I guess, revive that story of, of the first, you know, decade of my life to, you know, unpack it and understand it and see what it means um for the work that I do today. So yeah, it's it's pretty much all tied in. And fun fact, um, if anyone, if, you, if you've ever heard of a gold star family member, it basically means that you lost a family member while they were serving in the military. And um, you think that you would know that as soon as it happens to you, but I literally didn't know that that is what my family was called till about a couple of years ago. So it's all very new to me to identify as a gold star daughter. That is incredible. The hairs on my arms just went up. That was so interesting and touching. And like, it's really amazing. You have, a, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but you have a great attitude and it's really comforting to listen to you and, and talk to you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Because you know, death touches us, all of us period. And it does it in different ways and everyone's story is different, but to be able to share yours and talk the way you just did is incredible. And I'm sure it's helpful for others. Um, and the fact that you and your husband are doing this great work is really intriguing to me. So um, normally the the big, like heavy hitting question of this podcast, is I ask people what they think happens when you die. I, I am interested in your thoughts on that, but I'm actually kind of more interested in um, how you see so many other people go through that and what they think. So like, what do you think is um, kind of like the, the general normal response to death that you deal with? Oh, oh gosh. Uh, You know, I think the number one word that comes to mind for me is preoccupied. Like as soon as someone experiences death, um, nothing else matters. You know, when they witness someone that they love, um, you know, passes away, nothing else matters. And here's a, actually, this is something I've I don't think I've ever really shared on a podcast. So you all are here to hear it for the first time. Um, so after losing my dad, I had a, a long-term relationship with my college uh, boyfriend. I called him my college sweetheart, although we're not together anymore. But anyway, um, you know, while we were together, his mom passed away. And so it was a very interesting experience to witness, you know, to experience, you know, a, a, a significant other lose their parent. And like I said, the first thing that, you know, I, I, I saw was just his mind was just so fixated on the loss of his mom and being there for his family and stuff like that. Uh, fast forward to, um, I think it was 2017, 2018, being with my now husband, you know, within the first year of us being together, his dad passed away. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. And so it, it was actually interesting when I, I remember sharing this, um, you know, publicly and, and as what, what I appreciated about this time though, is that even though I knew that that was where my husband's mind was going to go, he was going to be preoccupied. Um, my friends and my loved ones who knew that this was my second time around dealing with this would checked in with me. They're like, are you okay? Like, you, like, this is not the first time this has happened to you. And so, you know, someone like me can easily believe that I'm cursed, you know, could easily believe that anyone that loves me is going to lose a loved one in their life. 
And so, yeah, it, I mean, there's obviously there's a lot to unpack with that. But to answer your question, I think the word preoccupied comes to mind, like seeing how how they're like after a while. And if, if you don't handle it right, you're always going to feel second place to that person's problems, like their problems, especially the one that lost someone, you know, like my college sweetheart and my husband losing their parent. Like you're always, you're going to start to feel like their needs are more important than yours. And so it's really important to be aware of that and to, you know, get, you know, the mental health that you need or the therapy that you need to not feel forgotten because that, that's especially how I felt, you know, after losing my dad, you know, we, we were surrounded by a very loving military community and family and friends. And as soon as we lost him, you know, we were removed from Japan and taken to San Diego and essentially had to, you know, start over. So, yeah, I say, you know, just going back, you know, I think preoccupied is the word that comes to mind in my observations. No, that's great. And that's really fascinating and um, very spot on and analytical. And I, I volunteered in hospice and then I would never have given that answer. But now that you said it, I will, I will start giving that answer because it's really accurate. Um, and so uh, because it has hit you with immediate family and then college sweetheart family and husband family. And of course it probably hits you in other areas you're not mentioning what, how much does mortality and death actually go through your head and how much are you preoccupied with that subject? Oh gosh. I mean, abandonment issues is a big thing. <laughs> um, and, and if people are hearing about abandonment issues for the first time, it's, it's sort of this fundamental belief that anyone you truly love um, will will leave you or die. And so you often um, try to repel people who could actually love you. You know, like I, I think about the relationships, like I remember I had this uh, really good friend in um, at church. Like, it was like a long time ago. We were like best friends for a number of years and we were just so connected and we had really good chemistry. And then one day we both suddenly realized that we were in love with each other. And at that time, I was only 19 at the time. I, I just couldn't even grasp what that meant. And I couldn't even explain why I was so afraid of that, like afraid of pursuing that relationship that I cut that I deliberately cut him out of my life. So I knew this guy for like four or five years. And the moment, you know, I fell in love with him, that was it. I cut him off. And I pushed him away. I, I just did everything I could to get away from him. And the good, the good news is that, you know, throughout the years, I've learned to um, work through that. I mean, it took a lot of work. I'll, I'll tell you that. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to dismiss any, anything I'm saying at all, but like, it's, it's a, it's a real thing. You constantly think about, you do think about death. You do think about like, oh, is this going to be my last day? Like, for example, you know, my, also my husband, um, he's in his young forties, he's nearing the age that my dad disappeared, you know? So here I, yeah, so here I am. And I remember like, even last year when I had this epiphany, I was wondering why I cared so much about his health. <laughs> I was all like, you gotta get, you know, you gotta, you know, especially in the pandemic, we all like, you know, gained, gained some, but I was like, yeah, take care. Blah, blah, blah. And I remember talking to our, our couples counselor and I, and I realized I had this epiphany. I was like, Oh, I, I'm, I want you to live because I want you to outlive my dad because I'm afraid I'm afraid I'm losing losing you you know and and yeah there's just this constant fear of of losing things and also this this constant need to feel like you need to escape your environment to feel like your your environment is is shifty so yeah there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of effects that can come from you know experiencing so much death especially at a young age and then seeing it repeat through your significant others 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's interesting because you mentioned like therapy, but like you sound like a therapist. And I mean, that is a total compliment, oh. just in case it's not clear. Like you sound <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> very responsible with the psychology and emotions. And so actually that kind of dovetails to the question I skipped, but now I want to go back to, which is what uh, what is your opinion of what happens when you die? So I'm not, I mean, you can answer religiously, but like, what do you think actually happens to you, Jen Amos, when you die? Well, I want to speak from, you know, since you mentioned earlier about like veteran suicide awareness, I want to sort of speak from the service member's perspective. I think that this is just my theory. Like, I think that especially if it involves suicide, because, you know, even though we don't know the full story of my dad, there has been some history of him having suicidal ideation. So, you know, that could be one of many reasons why we lost him. But I think what happens, um, at least right before you die, uh, the mindset, especially when it, when it involves suicide, is I think people think that that is their only option left. You know, I think that they think, oh, if I, if I get rid of myself, I will no longer be a burden to anyone. Or it's, if I take my life, I'll no, I'll no longer have to, you know, deal with this pain. And, um, and so I think that's, I think that's the mindset that happens before, you know, that happens. Now, what happens when they actually are gone? Um, that's a, I, I think that, I mean, I don't have like a strong belief on what could happen, but I'd like to believe that their spirit lives on through the next generation. So, you know, very often, the more I learn about my dad, the more I realize I embody his personality. Like he's very, he was very introverted. He uh, really valued, he, he very, he really valued his you know, close knit relationships. Um, and he, he always called to a higher sense of purpose. Like even before he joined the U S Navy, he actually served in the Philippine army. Um, and so just this calling to serve the greater good. So I think that, I think that their spirit lives on through someone else. So I don't know if it's necessarily like a caste system thing, but I do think that that spirit, you know, whether it shows up through me or my future kids, I, I think that's what happens. Yeah, no, I love that idea. And actually, um, my son is nothing like me or his mother. He's totally like my brother. It's like just strange. And my brother didn't genetically have anything to do with that. You know, of course we carry recesses and all that, but I do feel like that's very uh, accurate and apt. And so this, um, my question is kind of an adjacent to what we're talking about, but since you do work with suicide and we actually haven't had a lot of opportunities to discuss that on this podcast, do you um do you know anyone who has and I'm not even sure if I'm using the right word for this so please correct me but who has survived a suicide attempt so like they really did legitimately try but then they survived it and then they work with you after that Oh gosh Yeah I mean and and just to clarify like I don't I don't really um I like to talk I like to advocate and create awareness about like suicide awareness I'm not actually like hands on so I just want to be clear However um I yeah I do have I do have a story um actually, this was like last year, I had a really good friend of mine. She's essentially a childhood friend. I knew, actually, no, not a co I'd say college, college friend. I've known her for about a decade. Um, but during the pandemic, she actually attempted to take her life. Like she legitimately made the effort. So what happened was, uh, and, and this was just hearing it through her husband who called me a week later after this happened. So, you know, the pandemic has been hard for a lot of us. You know, we have Zoom fatigue and we can't go out and socialize and yada, yada, yada. So one of my good friends, uh, I guess she just felt so cooped up at home and she felt like such a burden to so many people and so many things that 
um, in the middle of her workday, she decided to go into her closet um, and hang herself. And she took, yeah, she tied some belts together and wrapped it around her neck and, you know, tied it in, you know, in that bar where you hang your hangers and, and attempted. And the only reason why she didn't succeed is because the bar broke. So her husband, yeah, her husband actually heard a thud and ran, and, you know, luckily because everyone's working from home, he was, he was there to hear the thud. And he ran inside and and saw her saw that she was unconscious and immediately took her to, you know, the ER. And so, you know, fast forward to today, um, you know, she's been fortunately she has family and friends and a community to support her and kind of be on watch in a sense. And um, and we've been able to connect. And I have to say though that when I found that out, because you know she's in she's in San Diego and I'm here in the East Coast, you know, like when when I found that out. I felt so helpless. You know, I felt like, wow, I can't even drop by her house to leave something at the front door just to let her know that I'm thinking of her. And in a pandemic, it's so difficult to fly across country, at least at the time, to want to help. But I think that, I think part of a lot of my advocacy is just creating, you know, just sharing these types of stories, like sharing like, hey, this is a real issue. This is what happened. This is my family story. You know, I have a history of depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation myself. And so, and and as I learn more about my dad's story, part of me feels like, wow, maybe I've inherited that from him. Maybe that's the spirit, you know, that carries on within me is that, you know, that, that temptation to isolate yourself and feel like you're a burden and feel like, you know, the only way to like, you know, relieve, relieve everyone is to take your life. And so the more we talk about that, the better, <laughs> I think. No, I really agree with you. And um, when I was younger, I had some of those idealizations and uh, meditation for me was like my way out. It just keeps me just above it, you know? Um, but I do, I wonder, like sometimes I just look around rooms and I just go, how many of these people thought to themselves today, I, I kind of wish I could kill myself. And like, I think it's, you know, especially in America, it's like beyond taboo to talk about it. So thank you, first of all, for talking about it, for telling stories, for sharing your personal uh, information about it, and for talking about it on the show, because I really do think it helps people. And, uh, you know, with that said, I don't normally offer my opinions on the show, uh, but I do want to say just for listeners and people out there, like, I don't think there's anything morally or inherently wrong with it. It's just very sad and it hits people. So I'm curious, do you, do you feel the same way? I mean, like, would you give yourself and your friends and, and everyone like that space or, if you had a friend who was like really just hell bent on it and they gave you all their reasons and you talked to them and stuff, would you, would you be okay with like a legal euthanasia program or something? And this is the most specific weird question I've ever asked. So it came out of nowhere, but. Oh, I see. Like if they, if they told me that they wanted to take their life and they have all the reasons to do it, would I still have them do it? Well, I think that, um, that's a good question. Um, in, in a lot of the ways that I approached my relationships and I'm not perfect at it, but at least the intent that I usually do in every relationship is to meet people where they're at and um, at the very least, like tell them how I feel about what they're doing. So if I was ever approached with that, if anyone ever said that, you know what, I'm going to take my life tomorrow, I would say, okay, before you do, just hear me out, you know, like, and, and give them some kind of speech, like, you know, you're, you're loved, you matter, like, this is not just about you, like, you're going to, it's going to cause this ripple effect 
that's going to hurt other people. And part of, you know, part of being able to speak up now in my adult life as a gold star daughter, I, I feel the gift in that is, is trying to speak to parents and saying, this is, this is what could happen if you take your life while you have kids. Like someone like me is going to grow up to always struggle trying to fill in the void that you left behind. You know, like I, like even till this day, the biggest thing that the biggest thing I feel like I lost from my dad was um, his emotional connection and availability and undivided attention. I felt like that was lost. Like I felt I could never, I, I feel like I've spent my entire life trying to find that from at least one other person. But even if I did, again, going back to my abandonment issues, I would run away from it. <laughs> so this is weird, this weird situation. And so, you know, and so I think it's important to say, like, to at least if someone does come up to you to really let them know how much you love them and, and say like, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, that I want you to not do this. You know, that I want you here, you know, that I love you. And, and, and I'm speaking on behalf of everyone else who maybe hasn't, you know, had the courage to actually tell you this because they themselves have such an ego or such pride to, or such fear and trauma to open up to you in this way. But I just want you to know that you are loved and I'm sorry that you feel this way. I'm sorry that this is, you feel like this is your only solution. And I hope you don't do it. I don't want you to do it. And I love you. And that's really all I can say, you know, like, I, I think that's if they had given me that opportunity. And actually, I say that also thinking that if there was a possibility that my dad did take his life, um, you know, I wish that, you know, and I was only 10 at the time, like, I, I wish that I could have known, you know, to at least like have the words at the time that he was present in my life to say that, but I was too young. I was too young. And I, I don't fault myself for that. I just, I just know, like knowing what I know now, that's what I would hope to say. And because of, because of that loss and, you know, like, like you just mentioned me earlier, like, oh, you sound like a therapist. It's like, well, you know, like what I have lost um, has turned into a gift to be that, you know, emotionally available person, you know, to other people, you know, hence, hence why I'm a fellow podcaster, you know, I want people to feel seen, heard and valued just as much as you probably do. So, so yeah. That's great. That's really interesting. I'm, you're really touching my heart. I want to thank you. It's hard because I don't want to interrupt you. So I'm like <laughs> sitting here and, and we're not face to face, but um, it's really, really helpful to hear all this. And I guess, gosh, I've never asked the few people I know who are connected to suicide the way you are, but I, I am kind of curious, would, okay, pre presupposing that your father did commit suicide and that it wasn't like a tragic lost at sea accident, um, if that were to be true, for sure. Would it have helped if he had left a note? Like, do you think that's like part of it or does that not even matter at all? Oh, I mean, that's a, that's a great question because, um, you know, we're, my family and I are in a place right now where we actually are working with a nonprofit to uncover his story. And it just seems like, it just seems like the more we find out, the more questions we have. And there's, it feels like there's so little documentation of him. Um, like, for example, like the only people we've been able to really interview um, are his, his shipmates, you know, when he was serving. But we don't really know anyone from his life before, you know, like when he was actually in the Philippines and, you know, what his motivations were to serve in the Philippine Army and then in the U.S. Navy. So it's like, I... That's a good question. Like, I, I, I mean, I feel like if I did get something, I probably would have an emotional breakdown <laughs> because I think I've done a lot of 
good work for myself to get to a place where, um, and this is a, this is a big lesson I have learned is that, you know, I've learned that life isn't about finding the answers. Um, if you, if you did, then wow, I mean, that, that'd be such a sad life because, you know, especially, especially with the questions that I have about my dad, like life isn't about finding the answers. Life is about living and you find the answers along the way is what I've come to learn. And that's what my dad taught me. So if I, if I were to find something, I feel if I, if you were to leave a note and I found it, I think it would kind of rewrite my life lesson <laughs> because I'd be like, oh, he actually thought of me before he decided to do that. You know, if he did, but like you said, I don't know. Again, you know, the paper again says unknown. So we really, we literally don't know how he went. So, yeah. Uh, it's just so interesting, you know, and also there's like ways to go without doing it. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of hard, but I, I don't need to get into all that. But my, my point is just, I, I really do understand what you're saying and about how like everything leads, you know, I have my personal stories and things that have affected me. And it's true. The older I get and the more distance between me and those events, the more I realize that like they just occurred and I'm responding to them and my life is blessed. And I just have to keep telling myself that. And, um, and it sounds like you've reached something similar. So I didn't get to ask a couple of questions I wanted to, cause we're running out of time. I wanted to ask you about your entrepreneurships and how you help other people. Um, I'm sure our listeners can check out your bio and the links for all that, but I, I did want to end with letting you kind of have the floor for just what, what sort of message you want to send to my audience or anything you want to say. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you about, and I'm just throwing these out so you can tie loose ends if you feel like it is how, how we're supposed to deal with the, uh, pandemic, not pandemic, pandemic, meaning like, <laughs> you know, know. <laughs> the whole world admitted we had a pandemic pandemic for like a solid nine months. And now it's just so fractured. And so the depression that ensues from that and all that, you know, if we were to be in a semi pandemic for the next 20 years, do you think that's going to affect depression and suicide a lot? Is there, is there a way to be at home with just two people and on zoom all the time and not get depressed? <laughs> right. I, I hear you. I mean, I mean, y'all, it, it, it's a, I mean, you're a winner if you can be at, stuck at home with your spouse for as long as the pandemic has been going on. Um, yeah, it's that's. I mean, trust me, if it wasn't for couples counseling, I, I don't know where my husband <laughs> would be. And it happened. We happened to have started couples counseling during the pandemic, so it was like perfect timing of all of all things. But um, I would say, you know, if people want to know about me, like you could just check out my website, thegenamos.com. It's pretty simple. I, I, like you said, I do a lot, but the common thread with everything I do is community. You know, we are all like multifaceted by nature. We're all, we're all not just parents or siblings or what our job title is. Like we, you know, there's so many aspects to us. And so it's important to find community in those spaces. I mean, for myself, I host like two different podcast shows with two different audiences because each one of them represents a part of who I am, you know? And so I would just say that, you know, if you're all about community building or you value community or you want to like build community for yourself, you know, that, that I'm, I'm the person to just have a conversation with that about on my podcast shows or even just as a human, human being. And, you know, it's not just good for professional reasons to community build, but it's really good for mental health to be reminded that you're not alone. Now that's changed, you know, during the pandemic, obviously we can't see each other in person as much. And now there's, like you said, there's this weird, like, okay, do I see you in person or not? You know, like this weird thing, like, you know, 
in, in you know on one news station you see like the football stadiums filled and in another one you see people still wearing masks like it's just this weird dystopia <laughs> you know that we're that we're in right now but but either way you have to find a way to f- build community and connect with people and the beauty of our time versus pandemics in the past is that we have technology <laughs> like we you know like you said we have zoom we have phones we have you know we have so so many ways now to build community that people in the past who who went through something similar you know weren't able to have so just keep that in mind and use this opportunity to be creative um, because again, you know, we're talking about suicide. A lot of times it has to do with people feeling like they can't talk to anyone. They feel like they're the only one and they don't want to be a burden to people. But the moment you open up and seek out those communities, like I, I promise you it, you know, but it's also just like dating. Not every community is healthy. So you got to scout it out, you know? So that's another tip I want to share as well. But yeah, I would say the key word is community. Um, after death, what, what happens immediately after death? You have a funeral, right? You have a service. You have people coming back together. And remember that. Remember remember the importance of that and to not wait for death to be in community with people again. Wow. Well, Jen Amos, thank you so much for helping us put another nail in the coffin. Um, that was profound and beautiful, and you definitely touched me, and I'm sure I will hear from tons of listeners. So um, for everyone else at home listening, I would like to again remind you that we could really use your support subscribing to the podcast and giving us a review if you're on Apple. And please, please, please check out Jen's links because she does a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, and you will be impressed. Um, and as always, my name is Mike Oppenheim. You have been listening to Coffin Talk, and we will see you soon. Into you and I see that you see me and I see you hear this tune and I feel that you near me and I see you while the